Coming up in this episode, we're going to talk about 15 of the world's most expensive motorcycles. The ones you wish you could have, but you don't. Stick around. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas, and of course, any random thoughts that pop into our head. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. You know, before I told you that Heartland Honda in Springdale was the first level five Honda powerhouse in Arkansas. Now, what that means is that Heartland Honda is a very exclusive dealership. You see, you have to meet several standards and then maintain them in order to become a level five Honda powerhouse dealer. Like red level certified techs, adequate model representation, training and facility requirements, and be an exclusive Honda dealer. God, there's a lot of stuff you've got to do, but they do it at Heartland Honda. So if you want the very best, be sure to check them out online at heartlandhonda.com or give them a call at 479-751-7022. Heartland Honda, work hard, play hard. Put Brad Bradshaw's number in your phone, 417-333-3333. Brad's a physician, he's a surgeon, and a lawyer. You know, nuts on the road, they may not be watching out for you, and they're probably not. So after the show, check them out online at bradbradshaw.com. Remember, save this number, 417-333-3333. Dr. Brad Bradshaw, and he rides too. Welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road, where Randy Lewis and I talk about nonsense and, I don't know, motorcycles. That's about it. Is One that of it? those. One of those. How are you doing today, Randy? I'm good, Mr. Fantastic. How you doing? As always, grumpier than hell. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Damn old cob. <laughs> I know. I'm like I've told you before. I'm that. What is that? That that puppet's name? Walter. Walter. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. So I think he looks a little bit better than you. Everything looks a little bit better than me. <laughs> it's called being road hard and put away wet. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the 15 most expensive motorcycles in the world. This is I got this idea from a cycle world article we'll give props where props yeah, are due yeah. one thing i want to preface this before we even start some people are going to say oh there's more expensive bikes out there we're talking about real honest to god museum quality motorcycles not the kind that are expensive because they're made from titanium or as i was looking they also <laughs> are gold plated and diamond yeah, studded yeah. that don't count not the cake decorated ones, the no. legit motorcycles. Legit, this is the way they came from the factory. Yeah. They're expensive because of their rarity and their unique shape for how old they are. Yeah, none of these were made last year. Correct. Correct. So, whereas some of the more expensive ones were made last year. <laughs> yeah. That, that doesn't count. So, we've got 15 of them. We're going to start from the least expensive. And uh, Which as, is still at last hefty. check, I did not win the lottery last night. So. My pick for a couple of these in here are not going to be in my barn anytime soon. So, number 15. It's a 1926 Bro Superior 
SS100. What do you suppose that thing went for? These are all bikes, that, by the way, that have been sold at auction. We're not estimating what they might be worth, uh, but this is I actual see. price they sold for. I would say, just knowing very limited about the market and kind of the the vintage bikes, I would say the least expensive one is going to push north of 400000 Yeah. Yeah. You're not as stupid as you look. <laughs> 453000 Dang, son. You know, pocket change. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about this bike? I know a little bit about those, the S- SS100s. Um, honestly, they're race bikes, in my opinion. The cool thing about the bros, they were like elegant motorcycles that freaking rode 80 to 100 miles an hour. Exactly. And now you're thinking, well, that's not all that fast. It's 1926, folks. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of people still riding horses yes, in 1926. For sure. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For a fact. That just is, in my mind, is just a staple of the engineering at the times and how people were so fascinated with the idea of having a motorcycle, a two-wheeled you know, vehicle that can go wherever, however, you know, flashback 30, 40 years before that, it was just a idea in a dude's mind. You exactly. know what I mean? But you know, you imagine putting everything in context to the time and place, 1926, and you're going two wheels and you're going 80 to a hundred miles an hour. That's the speed of light. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. You also got to think this is just hard work determination and a guy trying to see everything to fruition of what he thought it should be yeah now these bikes they had that uh race engine and the dog-eared rockers yeah yeah. they're really cool looking bikes yeah for sure external too right right something i think is pretty rad about bro and i've always kind of had i've always known this a little bit didn't realize that it was as glaring as it is on this um this list they may not have topped the charts at the most expensive but holy crap, give it to them. They've got like four, five, six machines in the top 15 most expensive motorcycles. That's true. In fact, the number 14, we'll just skip over. Let's just skip that because it's another bro superior SS100. Yeah. Same I mean, bike. That that right there has got to say something for him, right? Right. So we'll move on to 13. Wholly different bike. 1922 bro superior SS80. 80, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that. Smaller machine, still 80 mile an hour top speed, somewhere around in there, mm-hmm. correct? And these dudes absolutely rode these. You know, it wasn't like, what were they, uh, India, something like that? Mm-hmm. So Middle East-ish. These are the kind of bikes that uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you know anything about that, I mean. Watch the movie. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about landscape that is not necessarily the funnest or easiest to roll on. You got to think early 1900s, those are bicycle frames, so they're not super rigid, not very large tubes everywhere, and suspension, what the hell was that? You know, these guys are on very, very hard tires with no suspension, two wheels, super slender motorcycles, and and truth be told, a little bit of a tall seat height, too. Mm -hmm. You're not talking about low-slung bikes like today. And people back then were, stature-wise, smaller. Yeah, yeah. Like 30, 35-inch seat heights on some of these bikes. That's an absolutely tall bike today. And they're out there running on shit rock and dirt and weird no terrain. Suspension. The only no suspension sp- you have is a couple of springs they put under the seat. Exactly. And pushing it 80, 100 miles an hour. Yeah, through you the desert. You can't tell me that that's not life right there. Well, it's not only life, but those are tough bastards. 
Yeah, very true there. There's a serious lack of testosterone nowadays. <laughs> yes, I would have to attest to that. There is That's a fact. You ever seen the commercial on TV where they're, I don't even know what they're advertising, but the guy's uh, trying to teach people not to be like their parents. And he's oh, like, we yeah. all see it. We yes. all see it. Just keep moving. Yeah, That's the way I am when I see a lot of these people <laughs> nowadays. Man buns. and What is the man bun? I'd never uh, thought in a lifetime. You know, which this is your time. This is, this is uh, getting 50s, off track, but that's what yeah. we do. 50s, 60s, everyone had long hair and good vibes. Oh, yeah. But it's a little different when you put it into a ponytail on a dude. And then Skinny jeans <laughs> and loafers with no socks. I mean, come on, guys. There's our sidetrack for the day. Yeah. What well, happened it to may a, not be the only one. What happened to a pair of boots, jeans, and a black t-shirt and a trucker hat? That's right. <laughs> Peterbilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's move on. We're going to go to number 12. It is not a bro, but don't worry. We haven't given up on the bros. Yeah. And it's, uh, by the way, that's B-R-O-U-G-H, not B-R-O. Yeah. What up, bruh? Yeah. Which we could be wrong in the pronunciation. That's yeah. how I've always heard it and always Bro thought or of it. bra. Yeah, bra. It's, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes. So number 12 is a 1939 BMW RS255. Went for $480,000. Chump change, of course. Dang. But you know, it if is. you got it. It is what it is, right? Hey, listen, if I had that kind of money... Damn straight, oh, that's shit. what I'd be spending I'd spend it on. It. Hell yeah, man. I wouldn't go to the casinos. It's the stimulus package. I wouldn't package. buy private jets. <laughs> no. Heck no. Heck no, man. I would be the guy that goes, got it, got it, got, got it, it. Yeah. got it. I got a checklist here. You got to hit. Yeah. Except I'd probably ride them all and everybody would be like, you're an idiot, man. That's a $480,000 bike. And I'd be like, it's still a motorcycle. And it's mine. Think it'll do a burnout? Yeah. <laughs> So here's what I think is pretty badass and take it for what it is. Just a dumbass's opinion. Look at that BMW. What year did you say it was? 1939. Okay. So look at the 39 and then look at something in the sixties. And even, even just before they got into making like full touring motorcycles, blocky fuel tank and that horizontally opposed engine with a big center case. Uh-huh. Nothing's changed. Granted. I mean, something has changed, but Relatively the same design, styling cues, engineering. It's just really cool to look back at a, a company like BMW. You think they're sleek, they're slim, they're flashy, you know, they're high-end, luxurious model stuff now. It's the same crap they were doing in freaking the 20s and oh, 30s. Oh, they had it together. I mean, this 1939, this was a seriously fast motorcycle, mm-hmm. even by today's standard. It did the land speed record of 173 plus Dang, miles an hour. I mean, that is insane, man. Yeah. You're I talking mean, about super bikes, or not super bikes, but sport bikes, you know, roll off the line, Yamaha R6, Jixer, stuff like that. That's what they're speeding at now. And that's like, oh my God, fast. Imagine doing that on an old vintage motorcycle. And it's not a, quite the smooth ride you'd yeah, get today. Yeah. There's no inverted suspension on that with big ass Brembo brakes. As I said before, the people that were involved with this stuff, big balls. Can we say that? Big balls? Yeah, big balls, Bob. Big balls, Bob. Moving on to number 11, our old friends, the bro. Superior is back, 1931, BS4. Mm. Well, and and I encourage you to go to uh, the Cycle World article and just type in under search 15 most expensive bikes. And you can, they actually have pictures of all these is really worth a few minutes to take a look at because they're not only stunning in the, what they are, but they're 
awesome looking bikes. <laughs> yes. Really cool. So this one is a is a four cylinder bike, and there were only ten of them, I believe, made, That's and it crazy. had three wheels. Yeah. Okay. So you you threw that name out, and I'm like, man, I don't know a ton about that. But you're right. It did have three wheels. It two really really tight together three wheels, not like a traditional trike. No, no. Um, and if memory serves me right, if you didn't look close, you would think it was just a two wheeler. Yeah. Weren't they designed? I I could be way off on this. They were designed to have a sidecar with them, right? I could be wrong. You know, somebody can school me on this, but I want to say that they were designed to have a sidecar. And I don't know the names of these. I remember reading up a little bit about this bike when it was sold. There was a guy, I can't remember who it was, but challenged the owner to ride it on trails courses solo without a sidecar. And I want to say that this guy took 30 or 40 trails races and did, you know, pretty dang well with this three-wheeled motorcycle with those two in the back that are, they're tucked tight and narrow. They're probably... You know, looking at it, they're probably only like four to six inches apart, and they're a skinny, probably a 1.25 or 1.5 wide wheel. Yeah. This is one of those, uh, this is also one of those classic uh, barn finds. Really? Yeah, it's set in a barn for many, many decades until somebody found it and then fixed it up and took it to auction. And like I said, it sold for $481,000 at a Bonhams auction, Mm. and it's, it's a pretty cool bike. Now, one of my favorites that came in on the list was a 1912 Henderson 4. I like those Henderson 4 engines, the Man, straight fours. Yeah. Super long bike for the time, honestly. Yeah. For some reason, into the 30s and 40s, it seems like four cylinders got really popular for a couple of years. Like, yeah. It was kind of where the industry was pushing the market through, I don't know which engineer probably came up with it first, but the idea of having a twin or a single at the time, you know, singles were super popular, rare, sporty. Um, then they go to a big twin, and now you're sticking a four-cylinder in there, right? If one's b- good, two's got to be better. And these and aren't the kind better. of four-cylinders we're accustomed to today. These yeah. are straight inline fours. Yeah, imagine how long that would have to be to have, you know, four cylinders in line. They were also considered the, you know, there's an old saying that says that the, the Bro Superior was the Rolls-Royce of motorcycles. These were the Duesenbergs. If you don't <laughs> know what a Duesenberg is, look yeah. it up. yeah. I could so, see that. I could see the reference on that. In fact, there was such a popular design and everybody liked it so much that a lot of manufacturers had copied it. Yeah, and I, you can find, even to this day, motorcycle manufacturers that make uh, replicas. You yeah. know, Like I said, look it up on the article. You'll get to see the pictures. It'll help reference this while you're listening to it. You can look at the pictures while we talk about it. Number nine was a 1929 Shocking, a Bro Superior SS100. Again, mm. Here's something. Here's a fascinating But this point. one's called the Alpine Grand Sports. Oh, Ooh, let's church it up, fellas. Yeah, $494,580 wow. just to round it out at Bonham's auction. That's crazy. So uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I got into really digging vintage motorcycles and just the simplicity of them instead of you know, making everything flamboyant and flashy, you know, the rawest form and looking at a lot of these motorcycles to try to incorporate into engineering new parts for new bikes or whatever. The one thing that I thought was super, super fascinating, particularly about bro and some of the other ones too, is they're so rudimentary and like rough as far as their engineering. But the reason why they're so good, they're super reliable motorcycles. I think it was a bro that went around the world for the first time. Right. I could be wrong, but I think it was, you know, I can't remember the guy's name either. I'm a retard. But 
I think it was the first motorcycle to make a trip all the way around the world. And it's because of the longevity. And I equate that to the simplicity and the engineering being more for the fact of reliability as opposed to how sleek something could be or how cool something could be. Just well made. Yeah. So if you look at their Springer front ends, because, you know, that was the suspension. Memory serves me right. They had three-point adjusting knobs where they can adjust you know, on the side for spring rate and fork travel, and then on the top for a lockdown so that your handlebars didn't wobble. I mean, you could literally lock the top. Basically, it would be the the steering stem nut on a new bike. Right. You could tighten it up to where you didn't, it wasn't as easy to turn the handlebars. That design actually was still manufactured in the 60s and 70s on bikes. It was such a good design. Yeah, yeah. It worked. So that's what's so cool about it is you, you talk about, there's brilliant minds in the world of today. Okay, I mean, absolutely just blow your mind brilliance and engineering feats and with all the new tooling and technology, what you can accomplish. And you say that and I agree, but a lot of their brilliance comes from computers. Yes, exactly. This came from some guy's twisted mind. Yeah. How can put it down I make on a piece of paper? Work. Yes. How can I possibly make this work and then function and be reliable with less tooling Less schooling, honestly. I mean, you talk about engineers now. Shoot, they're, they didn't go to MIT. Yeah, there's a lot of years in schooling in equations and things like that. They're almost math whizzes as opposed a to a graduate of Bob's backyard garage. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So that's that's what I think is pretty dope about you know that motorcycle brand and their line. It's just that if you really get into the inner workings and the details of his engineering and how he made everything work. It's just stupid fascinating at how simple things could possibly be, but how well the simple things work. Sometimes today, I think that engineering-wise, they overcomplicate it. Yeah. And I really believe, and this is probably just the old codger in me, that a lot of times now they design things not to last. (laughs) It feels like it. It's like being a drug dealer. They get you on the comeback, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Repeat business is No, the engineer, somebody goes, oh, don't make it like it's going to last forever. We want them to come back and buy parts. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why the first light bulb is still lighting up. Yeah. And now we can't get these shitheads to last, you know, a couple months, it seems like. Yeah. All right. So top of the list at number eight now, imagine this, another bro. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, they may not have the most expensive, but you've got to kick it to them that, there's a crap ton in the top. 15. I'm curious how many people that are listening to this don't even have never even heard of bro. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot. Honestly. Yeah. Truthfully. I think this may be the last bro in the list. I'm not sure. So at number eight, we got a 1930 bro superior SS 100. Imagine that. Okay. It's sold at HH auctions um, back in 2019 for a whopping $542,000. You know, it, it was I don't know how to explain it. It was a race bike, okay? It was super, super stable chassis, just like the rigid design of it. It just, again, Rolls-Royce and motorcycles. But 1930, talking about Bro Superior, again, SS100. Imagine that. If you get the trend here, that's their staple model. Yeah. So I think we've set a trend. A lot of the top 15 are bros. I think that was the last one. Yeah. So instead of just rehashing old bro, (laughs) old bro stuff with old bros. Yeah. Just, um, let's jump on over to number seven. Number seven, get in a different model, give somebody else a chance. Yeah. So this is one that a lot of people are going to understand and they've heard about this, you know, it's a 1940 Crocker. Now here's the classifications, big tank, small tank. And what I don't think a lot of people knew is I want to say their tanks were, were cast aluminum. 
It wasn't stamped out steel. Really? I did not know that. I I believe. I could be way off on this. Crocker is an ultimately cool bike. Oh, man. Hell, just the name, Crocker. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a 1940 big tank. It sold for $550,000 at a Mecham auction. So with this Crocker big tank, at this point in time, 1940, people are really starting to customize and modify motorcycles. But Crocker's still it's yet. It's becoming a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Crocker's still stuck with black is best, you know, nothing flashy, nothing flamboyant. You know, they were race bikes. Um, from what I know about Crocker is they were really into making a bike faster stronger better you know you think at this point everybody's harley davidson and harley davidson's thing was you could ride it anywhere you can go yeah anywhere. a lot of you people do don't anything. realize that back in those days the 20s 30s and 40s there were a lot of american-made motorcycle companies yeah that no longer exist but in hindsight they were great motorcycles great companies oh yeah yeah it really was and i don't know if it was their advertising department or their marketing scheme or or just something didn't work but it wasn't the quality or the the bike right a lot of those bikes back then were built every bit as good as the next and and truth be told i'm a super big harley fan everybody knows this okay but they weren't necessarily the best motorcycle made no not at the time you know it, it right then and there they just they went from producing you know five motorcycles in their first year, something like that, five or six motorcycles their first year, to their second year producing 150 motorcycles. Their thing was, let's flood the market with us. You know, let's produce as many motorcycles well, as truth, we truth can Well, truth be told, I mean, they afford. have a fine motorcycle, and I think there's one or two on that list, at least one. Mm-hmm. They had, not to, and I'm not trying to say they didn't have a good bike, they did. But they had a superior marketing plan. Yes, yes. There's I mean, so if was... you're going to be honest about it, that's the deal. Oh, yeah. That's how anything gets. Exactly. It doesn't matter what your plastic shit sifters. If you're selling <laughs> all of them, your marketing's better than the other guy. Exactly. You know, be the only plastic shit sifter out there that everybody hears about or knows about. And everybody else is kind of drowned out. You know, it's hard to break into a market when there's a stronghold on it. Yeah. Honestly. So they built, Crocker was building it, I think at that time. Shoot, I think they were only building 10, 15, 20 bikes a year, something like that. So imagine Harley-Davidson producing five, 600 bikes by this time in a year. You can't compete. To 10 or 20 bikes in a year. I often wondered what their mindset was, whether they didn't want to build more, because honestly they were a better bike, or whether they were just going after a specific, you know, handmade. Yeah, I don't maybe know. So. I, I wondered about where that was, whether maybe they didn't want to be the big dog on the block. Hard to say. Yeah, it really is. You know, I always think about the times and where the world was, you know, when this was all happening. You're talking about 1940, you know, your, your World War II time is what you're talking about. So I think the reason why they weren't producing as much, and I could be way off base, is as opposed to Harley. Let's put this into retrospect here. Harley started producing a lot of bikes early, so there's a little bit more cash flow, a little bit more capital. There's a little bit more notoriety with that. Then, is even Harley found, it was tough times through there. Yeah, it was. They had the Depression. Yeah, exactly. Had the Depression. You know, you're on your second world war by this time. From inauguration, when they started making motorcycles, you go through a Depression and two world wars. Tell me that's not tough. It's, well, it's hard insurmountable. To that due to the fact that... Uh, Harley and Indian got the military contracts. Yeah. 
Yeah. That wiped everybody else out. Right. You don't see any crockers running around for World War Two or World War One or anything like that. So no. that I think that that has to probably have a little bit it of factors a, in. Yeah, it, it really does. But from what I know about Crocker is that they just they wanted to build fast bikes that were strong and somewhat reliable. And, and that they was were their wicked idea. cool looking. Yeah, if you love that old school design, I say old school. At the time, it was just how to the me their engine. Was. It's looking at it, it's artwork. Mm-hmm. It's a work of art. Yeah, for a fact. So moving on, at number six. This is what's kind of cool to me is this is this particular motorcycle is specifically designed for one reason and one reason only. So number six is nineteen fifteen Cyclone Board Track Racer sold yeah, for five hundred and fifty one thousand dollars. That's not. Marketing. I think that's the bike I saw up in Anamosa Museum. They Bright had it on special bike. <laughs> had a special display. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I mean, they were trying with this motorcycle. It's strictly one purpose, one purpose only. It's a race bike. Go fast on the wood. Right, exactly. So it wasn't necessarily because of anyone's marketing or engineering or their name. It was legit ski. Like this was a bad mother trucker bike. Okay, so it's just got a a killer reputation for just that and that only. The only thing I absolutely hate about this motorcycle is that it was yellow. Oh, come on. I cannot stand a yellow motorcycle for whatever reason. It just... uh, Oh, that just falls under personal taste. It does. But it's a cool looking bike if you can get past the yellow. Yeah. So from what I remember about this motorcycle, and I think it's probably even referenced in that article you were talking about, Steve McQueen actually owned this bike. He did. Yeah, so I think that's the reason why it's bumped its value. Well, it already uh, that uh, increases yeah, the price tag yeah, and, yeah. and the cool factor. Yeah, so I really, honestly, truly believe that that's the reason why it's sitting in number six and not, it, you know, as opposed to even being on the list. I think it's because it was it was his personal bike, a Steve McQueen. Well, when you go into auction to buy these, and if you have a a, a documented somebody famous like that, yeah, somebody cool, you know, the it, prominence, yeah, that that increases the price significantly. Exactly, and his frick Steve McQueen was the dude, you know. Just imagine what it would have gone McQueen. for if they found out I owned it. <laughs> you couldn't have paid Buck someone to take it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you scrap price for it. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on although i mean that's a, that's a killer motorcycle it just for me it doesn't fit the mold of what top 15 would in, in my opinion would be like you know these other bikes are super rare motorcycles or original or somewhat restored you know bikes that are cool because of what they actually were not who owned them right so fair point number five 1939 crocker again a big tank it sold for seven hundred four thousand dollars. Yeah, that that's actually a pretty cool looking bike too. The the Crockers all were great looking bikes, and to me, artwork. So, what's at number four? Okay, so number four is a nineteen oh seven Harley Davidson. They called it a strap tank. That's what you see on all the pictures. Is the tank? Yeah, the are, real thin. Yeah, and they're narrow, just, long. They're strapped on and held on. It, it sold for seven hundred fifteen thousand dollars. So what are you doing with that bike? Is that still in your garage? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I go sit on it every night. Right around the yard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's cool about this particular bike is it wasn't a twin. It's a single, you know, super popular, yeah. single cylinder. I wouldn't say it was a, it wasn't a board track race bike or anything like that. It was just early design for Harley. You're talking about 1907. What they start manufacturing in 1903, something yeah, like that. Something like that. So 
first Harley design. It's probably one of, you know, a very limited amount, just kind of probably gets its its stature because of it's one of the first Harley Davidsons out you there. You know, one of the things that just came to my mind, I don't know, it's maybe a minor sidestep is those old bikes like that, particularly Harley Davidson, and you didn't just get on them and start them up like you do today. <laughs> there was a lot of engineering. You know, you had to advance the magneto, turn the fuel, turn the oil, Throttle yeah. advance. Yeah. I mean, it was a production just to get out there and start one of these bikes. For sure. For it sure. It wasn't a turn a key and go. You know what I think is really cool about some of these bikes, and this might be a little off subject. You know, you've heard about the cannonball race. Oh, yes. Vintage motorcycles. You see a ton of those early Harleys on them. Mainly, I guess, because this is America and that's what's around here. But it's just completely sick to me to think early 1900s and people today are riding those cross country still. I mean, that's got to say something for quality workmanship. Yeah. Vastly underestimated in today's days, bikes, in my opinion. Shoot, we've got guys. I got a customer that just tried to go to Sturgis on his 15 and had a shit ton of problems with all the extra crap that they want to put on them now. Well, things back then were hand tooled, handmade, Mm -hmm. you know, attention to detail. Today, nowadays, regardless of the manufacturer, everything's stamped out. Yeah, how fast can we produce as yeah. many as possible? Yeah. Actually, there's a tie at number four. The tie is a this 1907 Harley-Davidson strap tank and a 1937 Crocker small tank, both at $715,000. It's um, the small tank, the one that yeah, I think is the best-looking yeah. bike of all that has the scallops. You, you know, I hate to correct you. I, th- I think it was actually a big tank that the scallops were on. Was it? Yeah, I want to say that in, again... Yeah, you got to understand, folks, we don't have the pictures right in front of us. We're going by memories. And as my age, you're yeah. lucky I can tell you what I had for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I think what you're referencing... I like one of them. Yeah, I just like it. I don't know why, I just do. It's like, why are boobs good? Well, when you look at the article and you see the one with the scallop exhaust, yeah. that's the one I think is the coolest. You know, that's something else. I'm a freaking wanderer here, okay? This is what I think is badass. Uh, we talked earlier about styling cues then and now with BMW. Right. You're talking about a lot of these motorcycles back in the, you know, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s. They had what we call now as fishtails. It was a way of tuning the exhaust, how much you pinched it, made how much back pressure and things mm-hmm. like that. You can open them up for more exhaust flow. That's why a lot of those race bikes had like 10-inch exhaust pipes and that was it. But these bikes had what we call as fishtails. Still ridiculously popular today. Exactly. Okay. It's a customization well, thing now. Well, it just goes to show you, cool is cool. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't matter yeah. the time frame. But the bike that I think you're talking about um, was a big tank, and it was considered one of the first factory custom bikes you can buy. I, again, I could be wrong. Um, you know, back then they were chopping frames, making them lower to handle a little bit differently. Um, that one had a black, I think black scallops, red pinstripe, silver paint, a little bit lower a little bit shorter bike, what you'd almost call a bobber of today. But it was, I think it was deemed as one of the first factory custom bikes you could possibly buy. Um, all, again, to hit the styling cues and what people were doing in the 40s and 50s. So that one tied the 37 Crocker small tank. Um, I think it came out of a personal collection and it tied for number four. What was it, the cost of it? The cost on that bike was $715,000. So number three, so once again... We're talking about Crocker. We got the 1936 Crocker small tank. It sold for a whopping $825,000. Okay. 
So here's what a lot of people don't know. And I didn't know this until, honestly, three years ago, something like that. Al Crocker, the guy that owns Crocker Motorcycles, engineer for Indian is what he started out as. I'll see now. Now I'm learning something new yes, every day. Yes, it's not I, been a wasted day. I believe he was an engineer for Indian. Um, I think before or after the Crocker bikes before, before. Yep. So he was an engineer at Indian. And I want to say he's the guy that honestly did the scouts and the, and things like that to compete with Harley. I want to say he quoted it as the Harley killer. There's a lot of similarity in the way they look. Yeah. Yeah. They very, there really is. So this 1936 Crocker small tank, Al Crocker's personal bike, I believe is what it was. Um, and he was in California is where he started really his Crocker venture. I want to say he was an engineer for Indian first, and he took a lot of that, a lot of his knowledge and a lot of his skills over to the Crocker. And that's kind of the reason why they're so dope. And it's basically the other American brand, but it was solely you know, Indian did may it may have done so well because of this guy's designing and what would like to have had. been a fly on that wall where they got in the argument and said, "Well, screw you, I'll go make my own bike." Yeah, no joke. All right, so top of the list at number two again, it's a 1915 Cyclone board track racer. You know, we're we're back to racers. You know, they're they're just cool because they are what they are. I want to say the Cyclone numerically was the fastest bike out there. Yeah, you know, I could be wrong, but. I want to say that they were the fastest motorcycle out there. So it gets its stature probably on this list by just being freaking a wild ass machine. Board track racing. If you don't know anything about it, look it up. Look up uh, documentaries and stuff on YouTube. Seriously dangerous sport. In fact, it's so dangerous. They outlawed it. I mean, I mean, you had to have balls of titanium and holy crap. I mean, it's just very interesting to learn about that. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, everybody thinks that motorcyclists wear leathers today because yeah. of how cool they are and how much fringe you can stack on them. And yeah. they really hold your patches and pendants well, you know, <laughs> things like that. And they hold up under the sewing machine. Yeah, exactly. But leathers, the reason why motorcyclists wear leathers, in my opinion, is from the board track racing days. Well, that's where it started. Yeah, you wore leathers because that was the only thing that could hold up when you, when you went down on boards getting splinters and yep. getting your ass tore up with yep. leathers. So I think that's a, you know, maybe that's what I always attribute it to. At kind least. of the cool factor there. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we at with number one? So Drum roll. I'm horrible at that. A 1951 Vincent name. You haven't heard on this list before, but right there at the top for a reason. 1951 Vincent black lightning. This one sold I'm for all about this $929,000. That to take up a couple of lunches right there. Yeah. You're talking about houses in estates that cost less than this motorcycle. Oh, yeah. You know? You know what kind of house you can buy in the Ozarks for nine hundred? Shit, you can buy the Ozarks for $929,000. <laughs> That's funny. I want to say this particular bike came from Australia, right? It was a famous race bike yeah. in Australia. Correct. Yeah, I love the Vincent. Oh, they're, they're uh, and my favorite cool. bike of all time is the Black Shadow. Yep, yep. They were at the time the world's fastest production line motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, for a fact. I think that this one right here, it was an unrestored bike, right? Yeah, that's what I understand. Okay, so it was an unrestored bike. I want to say it came out of Australia and it was a famous race bike back then and there. I think it hit land speed records or something like that. It Nowhere near as fast as some of the other ones, but like 140s, 50s, something like that. 
somewhere around in there. So again, prominence is everything. Super famous motorcycle. You know, it did some remarkable things. You're talking about simple engineering on simple motorcycles with right. no suspension. So, well, there's a lot of cool bikes on there. I mean, uh, I would be so proud to own any one of them. Hell, I'd love to just look at one of them in real life. So, you know, if you've got the means and just you buy remember. one, just remember, <laughs> we will come and check it out for you. Yeah. Free of charge. Yeah. Looking's free. Looking Touching's is free. going to cost you. <laughs> well, don't touch. Damn sure don't sit on it. Yeah. So... I'm sure we butchered that list up, you know. My, well, there's always going to be the guy that is. says, oh, there's another bike that sold for more, probably. You yeah. know, a bike is worth what somebody will will pay. Yeah. But as we said on the outset, these are real bikes. Yeah. Honest to God, this is the way they came from the factory or the builder. Not because they're, you know, diamond studded or gold plated. Right. Or I've seen a few bikes that were sold for well over millions because they're all titanium and diamond studded wheels. That don't count. So look it up. It's a Cycle World article. All you have to do is just uh, Google Cycle World 15 most expensive bikes. You can then reference the pictures of what we're looking at and probably garner a little bit more accurate information because I'm sure, like you said, we we chopped it up some. So, I mean, the guys that did this article and have forgotten more than I've ever known about any of these particular motorcycles, um, we try to keep it honest and straight here. Okay, This is just going for somewhat of a memory of you know what i've heard and you know we're we're both big into motorcycles there was no disclaimer at the beginning of these podcasts that says we are dead on balls accurate yeah yeah not at all but i think i'm fairly accurate i mean i i love once in a while you hit the nail on the head every now and again (laughs) by luck yeah so go check the article out i hope this podcast was somewhat interesting that's all we're shooting for we're not shooting for perfect somewhat Yeah. And if you like it, then maybe tune in next time. Until then, just keep riding.